Hello and welcome to the New School OBGYN Podcast, a podcast in women's health but for everyone. Our goal is to promote good and reliable knowledge because the source of your information matters. My name is Eric Schmidt. I'm a board-certified OBGYN, and today I have with me Dr. Olga Valieva. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. Please consider downloading and following along. We are on all the podcast ho- hosts, or soon will be, um, and check out YouTube for the video podcast. Um, with that being said, today, episode four, we're going to talk about hopefully something, again, a little lighthearted, a little fun, um, the top five myths in OBGYN that we encounter. Um, and like I said, I have with me Olga Valieva, who is from the PNW. Mm-hmm. Went to UW, again, the wrong UW. Um, I, I disagree with that one, <laughs> but go on. Um, so, and then did her medical school at Pacific Northwest uh, University here. And then we did our residency together in Milwaukee, Wisconsin at Aurora Healthcare. And that's how we have come to know each other. Yes. Fortunately, maybe unfortunately, hard to say. Eric, um, he doesn't like to say this to people, but I taught him everything he knows, obviously. Uh, he was my my little junior, my little minion. We go back and forth on who actually taught who yeah. more things. It's it's probably known fact that it was me, but you can think what you want. And for a lot of going through these myths, I think we are not poking fun at these things, but just kind of maybe easing people's minds that we see mm-hmm. these things a lot. And so don't don't think you're out there alone thinking these things. And we're just hoping to put some better information out there. So um, there is less um, maybe anxiety and um, Mm -hmm. nervousness about going to see your uh, OB or GYN. Um, And I think a lot of these myths too are not so much myths, but things that were perpetuated by maybe a different generation and what our parents or, you know, grandparents experienced in medicine and how they received GYN or obstetric care. So they're not just random facts that are floating around. It's more of just what people were taught or what the experience that is a little different now than it used to be. And that kind of goes along with myth number one. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just kind of in, in um, you know, the fashion with the um, title of our podcast, um, New School versus the Old School OBGYN and how things are being done. Um, and, you know, I think maybe in the past, again, things a little more um, not as focused on the patient experience mm-hmm. and patient options. And so, um, you know, that is something that I, I feel like a lot of us, you know, really, you know, when talking with patients, we're really focused on, on um, gaining the trust, letting the patient know that their opinion, their, and the matters, they have options. Um, and the doctor's and, not just talking at you. It's a, it's a collaborative approach. And conversation. And, mm-hmm. and I do see this a lot with patients these days want options. Mm-hmm. And I think that's good. But you may have patients from different generations where they're just used to being told what to do mm-hmm. um, and just want you to tell them what to do, which is we can give our recommendations, but ultimately we like to be collaborative. Mm-hmm. And even maybe not generations. I remember when I, not that you'd have this experience with a gynecologist, Eric, fortunately or unfortunately again, um, <laughs> when I started seeing a GYN back in my teens, early 20s, it was very different than two. And that was, man, I'm old now, 20 years ago. So even within the last 10, 20 years, I saw that look. Um, things have changed quite a bit. And also medicine is always evolving. Culture is always evolving. So what used to be isn't what is anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's important to talk about that. And like Eric said, sometimes people just want to be told what to do. And um, I don't 
think either one of us practices that way. It's, you know, you know your body and your life better than anyone else. Here's options and let's choose what is going to work best for you. Um, and, you know, just some of those examples for that, that myth is, you know, exercise and pregnancy, which we'll be talking a lot about in this channel, mm-hmm. um, is, you know, the, the old thought, you know, don't, don't lift anything heavy, don't exercise, mm-hmm. um, sit on a lily pad and be worshiped the whole yes, time, yes. you're a gentle flower, eat whatever you want, eat for two, um, or, you know, I think one thing too is often patients think they're going to get like, I think nervousness, especially mm-hmm. seeing a male OBGYN mm-hmm. as myself, you know, that you can, there's an exam at every single visit. No. Nope. Um, and that is not the case. Definitely um, not. It, it's one warranted. Um, things may have been a little different in the past, but that's definitely how I practice. And I think a lot of people do I would agree. Um, nowadays. Um, well, Olga, mm-hmm. get us, uh, let us know a little bit about Myth number two that we're going to talk about. So myth number two, I hear this often in clinic visits or even just from friends um, and acquaintances are hormones. Are hormones good? Are they bad? What do I expect? What should I expect? Um, And specifically hormones in terms of like birth control when you're younger, neuroproductive years or after menopause, hormone replacement. They're, and, you know, Eric probably learned this too. And I know he did because I taught a everything he knows. Um, it probably won't there, be the last time you say that during our podcast. But so it will not be. We're all going to so roll our eyes. I'll kind of do a little history. So birth control, you know, especially in this country, many other countries has not, it has been a subject of controversy. And initially in the U.S., the first official birth control, FDA approved birth control didn't come out until the 60s and kind of became more of a norm in the 70s leading into the 80s. And hormones back in the 60s, 70s, 80s are very different than hormones that we use today. Um, And one thing we always try to do is put you on the right combination of hormones, depending on what you're looking for in your birth control, and also start you on a lowest dose possible. So we're not bombarding you with extra things that you don't want. Um, And the goal of a hormone is essentially to more or less shut down your own system and replace it with our own fake or synthetic system just so that we can a better regulate cycles if you have cycle abnormalities or prevent pregnancy um and a lot of people shy away from them just because of what they heard from mom or auntie or their girlfriend and something i always joke about and i don't know if you have the same metaphor is hormones on birth control are like trying on an outfit or trying on a pair of jeans it doesn't always fit the right away and if it does then fantastic great i want to know where you're buying your jeans but also we have to try different ones and just because your friend had a different experience. She also has a different composition. She has a different diet. She has different genes, right? So it might not, and genes, genetics, not, you know, lucky genes. Um, So her birth control experience is going to be different than your birth control experience. So don't shy away from it just because you've heard bad things. And I think often when people are, you know, hearing about these different, you know, side effects from the hormones, I mean, Mm -hmm. we're talking about, you know, you know, headaches, mood changes, potential weight gain, I think is one of the biggest ones, which people are mm-hmm. um, afraid of. And maybe a lot of the more or more effective ones we mm-hmm. use recommend that's not the case, but definitely not. Um, yeah. The, and, you know, it's different for everyone. And the risk of all these is, is still 
really low. It's really low. So one of the things that I often hear is weight gain. How much weight am I going to gain? I don't want to gain, you know, 100 pounds. Um, most hormonal birth control, and we're talking like the birth control pill, patch, ring, um, they don't have a big associated weight gain with them. There's been tons of different studies. And I think the highest number I found was like four, per- four pound weight gain on average. So don't be, don't worry that you're going to gain 50 to 100 pounds if you start the birth control pill that's that's not the pill that's something else going on so maybe something to explore but you know and yes maybe four to five pounds may seem like a big weight difference but really it's not so bad and not everybody experiences that you have um, to so, weigh it against the alternative potentially right i mean you can fluctuate in five pounds depending on what you eat and drink in one day like sodium you know different things like that. So uh, definitely birth control will not cause weight gain. There is another, the Depo-Provera injection that does tend to have a little bit more weight gain associated with it. And that's, again, on average, about seven to eight pounds. So still not a large weight gain, but I definitely hear that complaint more. And, you know, there's also research and there's what people actually experience, right? So we, we're not going to discount your feelings or your previous experiences. We just are also here to give you the accurate information in the studies. Yeah, I like to make the comparison with Depo is that it, that's a big injection of mm-hmm. uh, progesterone, which you know may increase the water weight a little bit, mm-hmm. may increase the appetite a little bit, but as long as you know an exercise and dietary you know mm-hmm. restrictions are still kind of there, you know you hopefully see less of the actual um, weight gain and the amount of hormone in a in a Depo shot. You compare that, you get it every three months. You compare that against, uh, let's say, Marina IUD, which is good. We always used to say five years, but for contraceptive purposes, potentially up to eight years now. And that's 52 milligrams versus every eight Micro years versus what? Micro. Micro? I'm teaching you things. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, See? Never stop learning. <laughs> I still don't know what you said. <laughs> micrograms, not oh. micrograms. <laughs> oh, micrograms. Yes. Um, there we go. Um, so yeah, you know, just comparing it, um, and you know, if, and you have to also look at the situation too, Mm -hmm. which someone is starting birth control potentially for the first Mm -hmm. time. And, you know, is there significant life stressors, you know, for example, if someone's starting birth control for the first time after recently having a child or something Mm -hmm. like that, um, there's probably a lot of compounding factors, but it's often easy to point a finger at you know, the medication. Mm -hmm. But again, um, if it does cause side effects, a lot of these options are reversible and can Mm -hmm. easily be stopped. And um, you can reconvene and and think of the best option from Mm -hmm. there. And that kind of brings me into you saying that they're reversible and reconvene to another myth about birth control or hormones is that you, you know, it shuts down your system for months, and it's going to take forever to for things to go back to normal, or even for pregnancy to happen. The minute you stop birth control, your body kind of starts to wake up and goes back to its normal hormonal milieu. So typically we say within the next menstrual cycle, you're more or less back to normal, right? Because mm-hmm. I hear that a lot like, oh, I don't want it to cause issues with pregnancy mm-hmm. or I don't want it to throw off my body too much. It really doesn't do that. Like I said, birth control kind of puts your body to sleep. And the minute you stop taking it, which is within 24 hours, it really just comes back to its normal. So don't be too worried about that either. Except for depo, Provera. That could potentially oh, yes, that, impact, that, um, that. you know, could affect somebody, maybe make it difficult. Long-term use of that mm-hmm. could make it difficult once you stop to get pregnant within months, potentially mm-hmm. even over a year or so. Um, 
we're non-biased here. Um, <laughs> yes, we do have our favorites. So <laughs> in case you hear us say something like that, that's one. Um, another one as far as birth control or hormones is this is going to cause cancer. This is going to give me cancer. This is what my auntie said. This is what I read. Um, definitely also not true. Birth control, especially birth control pills, are actually protective for different types of cancers like colon cancer, endometrial cancer, ovarian cancer, especially if used for a prolonged period of time. Um, there used to be a big myth about, you know, and including some studies that are very poorly done that it may cause breast cancer, but that's definitely not true. And even people that have high-risk breast cancer genetics, it is safe for them to take breast or birth control up until the point that they actually have a diagnosis of breast cancer. So that would be safe. Mm -hmm. um, and in terms of, you know, using hormones later in life, like hormone replacement therapy after or during the menopausal transition, there's been a lot of scary stuff out there too, and also a lot of poorly conducted studies. But a lot of the benefits from, and I think, yeah, I don't know if you've heard any of us women joke in gynecology, um, we're all planning on dying with hormones. So please give all of it to me because I don't want to be miserable. Um, Big things as far as hormone replacement therapy, again, were risks of breast cancer, colon cancer, things like that. In a lot of instances, it's it's neutral on breast cancer, except for one instance. And it is beneficial in terms of reducing colon disease, you know, bone disease, Alzheimer's, all risk mortality, like cardiovascular disease. So there are a lot of benefits. The risks for birth control and hormone therapy is that it may slightly increase your risk of clotting, but these are for very special populations. Um, and Eric will add to that too. Um, the risk of clotting with birth control pill, for example, is if you're over the age of 35, morbidly obese, have uncontrolled high blood pressure, other high-risk clotting disorders. And it's really, really marginal. It's like one to eight in 10,000. So I mean, it's a really negligible risk. And frankly, risk of pregnancy blood clotting is way higher than birth control or hormone replacement. So when we're talking about, are these safe for me? It's kind of safer than pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I mean, you pick your risks, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely a weight and a balance mm -hmm. of of the different options. Um, but I think there was in the past a lot of hormones given, you know, mm -hmm. to everyone. You know, you, you turn forty five and you're on hormones, Absolutely. whether you're symptomatic or not. Right. Some studies came out, and mm -hmm. we went, whoa, 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 let's stop giving hormones for sure, and then potentially a little too stingy right. after that. Definitely. Um, yeah. And that's kind of almost like the era that we grew up in. Mm -hmm. I felt like in in our residency is is we were of, quite shy yeah, and a lot and, of pullback from hormones then. Yeah. yeah um, about hormones and but uh on to myth number three um go ahead and take this one oh, you don't want dr valieva well it was yours you added <laughs> you got you added this, this is actually one. one of my favorite subjects is vaginal hygiene so another ongoing joke i have is that the vagina is in fact a self-cleaning oven it takes care of its own business um you may have seen a lot of commercial for like i don't know if i'm allowed to say brands but like vaginal hygiene products or washes or douches you know, I'm not going to name names. You I don't can know say brands. To. We're not that you big. You know, like Summer's Eve, TM. Um, please don't sue me. Um, <laughs> so we, the vagina really takes care of itself. There's a very delicate pH balance that really does not need to be messed with or altered. Um, a lot of these douching or vaginal wash or hygiene products do actually alter the pH, which can, in fact, predispose you to having higher incidences of pH imbalances, potentially odors, maybe even infections and not STDs, but just vaginal infections. So I often discourage, actually, I 100% of the time discourage my patients from using any kind of vaginal 
cleansing products, plain old Dove Bar soap, sorry, not a brand, um, or just even warm water. But we're looking for sponsors. We're, we are. Okay, great. Dove sponsor um, is really all you need. And externally only, do not put anything inside. It does not need to clean itself. And if you feel like there is an odor or something is off, don't go buying a douching product. Please come see your friendly OBGYN. Or primary care. Or primary care. Um, just to have an exam because potentially there could be an infection or something different. So don't wash your vagina. It will take care of itself. Um, another myth about vaginal hygiene is that discharge is bad. Um, discharge is normal. Discharge is supposed to be there. It's kind of part of the whole hormonal bacterial milieu in your vagina. And the discharge actually does change from, you know, week to week within your cycle. And that really corresponds to where you are on your menstrual cycle is in the before your period, after your period, when you're ovulating, after you're ovulating, and it does change in consistency. And for uh, those of you who are not on any kind of hormonal birth control, if you pay attention to it day in and day out, you're going to notice those little differences in the discharge. Um, so don't be alarmed by that. And, you know, if the discharge doesn't have a funny odor to it, if it doesn't irritate you, if it doesn't burn, it's normal and it's supposed to be there. Now, if something changes and it's something you're not used to, again, come see your friendly doctor. Yeah. Or provider. Or provider. Or I'm being really bad today. I'm sorry. Um, and so going on, myth four, um, my doctor will judge me. Um, we don't. We can sense that a little bit when mm -hmm. patients, especially, are a little bit apprehensive. Um, you know, or you know, often patients will say, you know, make certain judgments about their own appearance and things like that. And and we we do not. Mm -hmm. um, and we remember a lot of things about a lot of patients, but we don't remember any of the things which patients think think will remember. Mm -hmm. um, and so we are just strictly providers that are, are looking at that aspect of it. We're very, um, we're very boring and sterile, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's a pretty short and simple mm -hmm. one. Yeah. Anything you want to add on that? Yeah. Um, I also think that, you know, in terms of that judgment, don't be afraid to tell us things. We're not here to judge like your sexual preferences, you know, condoms you use, things like that. Um, we actually want to know those things because that will help us take better care of you. Um, and if there's something that you're embarrassed to tell us, we have heard it all. We know it all. We, or maybe we don't, and we can learn something from it too, right? But don't be afraid to speak up and tell us what you really want to talk about, because maybe it's something you don't feel comfortable discussing with your friends mm -hmm. or family. But it's also all confidential. We're not going to tattle on you. You know, no, we just yeah. want to help you at the end of the day. So we won't judge you. We won't care. We're not going to sit there outside of your room and be like, oh my goodness, did you see that? You know, that's not, that's not something that we do. So please don't be embarrassed or shy about anything. No. Um, and going on myth five, uh, myth five, actually we have more than five. So there's some bonuses here. <laughs> um, and I get this one occasionally, but you know, I see a patient, I'm, you know, talking to them, I'm seeing them for the pregnancy and mm -hmm. they don't realize I, I do anything else besides the pregnancy mm -hmm. care, or I'm talking to them about, um, their, you know, you know, whether it's a bleeding issue or, you know, something which we think is going to be surgical. I'm talking about the, the, the surgical options and things mm -hmm. like that. And we're planning surgery and the patient's like, wait, are you doing my surgery? And I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. 
I don't I'd know. like to think I'm a surgeon. I feel like I, I'm, and maybe this is old school versus new school. I feel like I get that often. I don't know if it's because I'm a woman versus a male. Do you think that matters? Like in terms of like who's doing my surgery? Do you get that too? No, I still get it. Okay. Um, but I think there, I mean, there are certainly, and this might be a trend potentially in the future, but you know, there's certainly people who only do obstetrics mm-hmm. or certainly only do um, gynecology, but that should hopefully be clear mm-hmm. in, um, you know, the initial conversations or the advertisement or the type of visit it is. Right. But yeah, a lot of us still do, do both of that. Um, whether it's in office procedures, surgical procedures, um, in, in the hospital, um, or working with pediatric populations, mm-hmm. if they have, um, you know, potential gynecologic issues and yeah, that, that's us. I'm sure the pediatrician would too, but we actually probably I would say potentially see more of it or Mm -hmm. um, so. And I think it's because it's such a broad field that people just, you know, when you go see a general surgeon or like an orthopedic surgeon, you expect them to only do one specific thing, right? But we cover so much of women's health from puberty and then reproductive and then after Mm -hmm. menopause that it's, it's a very broad scope of practice and maybe not everyone is aware. And another thing too, like I often have patients after they're done with their pregnancy, they're like, oh, I guess, I guess we're not going to see each other. And I'm like, well, no, you're still a woman. I can still take care of you. You can still come to your annual exams. You know, if you need birth control, if you have an STD, I'm here to help you. But I feel like you're either doing one thing or another thing and not a combination. So that's something that maybe doesn't get talked about either. Yeah. For you guys to know. Yeah. Um. Oh, right. And, and kind of going a little bit off that, um, it, and a little bit off of what we've said in the past about just what other people say about, um, certain procedures, way things were done in the past. I mean, mm-hmm. specifically hysterectomy and what that is. And a hysterectomy is the removal of the uterus. Um, and, and that can be, you know, broken up into partial and total, but that just means whether you're keeping your cervix or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't include the ovaries. So mm-hmm. a hysterectomy doesn't affect your hormones in any substantial way unless the the word oophorectomy, which is removal mm-hmm. of the ovaries, is added to your procedure list. And so just certain examples yeah. where, you know, you know, don't be afraid to have these conversations, ask these questions, because there's just a lot out there that, that you know, maybe in more of a layman's terms that... Um, I feel like that's a 100% of the time I get asked you know, I don't want to make sure I'm having a partial hysterectomy. And, and for the for the average bear, that means don't take my ovaries, yeah, right? And we think sure. about a difference, something that I always go through and explain. But again, I mean, people talk about their friends or their moms, aunties having yeah. these surgeries, and that's what they know, right? Because right. back in the day, they used to take everything out. Right. We, we just don't do that anymore. We know better now. Right. Um. Yeah. And, you know, a couple other small, small hits mm-hmm. that we'll talk about. Um, I get a lot of patients that you know, might often late cancel for no reason. Um, and it could be just a visit where we're talking, but I think everyone, again, thinks they're going to have a pelvic exam every visit, mm-hmm. but it's like, oh, um, I canceled because we were, you know, I was on my period. I'm like, oh, that's, that's okay. It's we can still, you know, yeah. have a conversation and even do certain procedures right. or, um, you know, sometimes I think the old thought or the thought is that the, the blood on a pap smear can, um, you know, not give you as good of a diagnosis, they which used, it can, they used to. but they can, they can do, mm-hmm. they can separate it better right. now. Yeah. And so I wouldn't let that uh, make you feel like you can't make it I to your agree. appointment. And it, it, what you said too, about doing a pelvic exam, we don't, I would say I, I don't do a lot of pelvic exams unless it's necessary. Like if unless you're actually coming for a pap smear or you have vaginal discharge or 
pain or whatever, I would say most of my visits are done without a pelvic exam. So don't be afraid to come see us. We're not always going to be poking and prodding at you. Yeah. And I think it still happens. Um, unfortunately, when we're getting you, better, though, you know, maybe there was a day where technology wasn't there. And mm -hmm. so, so much more was based off just, you know, trying to detect something you know, by, yeah. So I hear stories about, you know, mm -hmm. whether it's in pregnancy, someone gets a pelvic exam, breast exam, almost every visit. And it kind of makes me cringe a little bit. I'm trying to, <laughs> yeah. re, you know, regain trust of the community here and yeah. what we're doing. Um, and, uh, so yeah. yeah. Um, and to add to that too, if you don't feel comfortable with what's happening in the exam room, or you don't feel comfortable with what your doctor said or your provider says to you, speak up and, or find a different provider. If that doesn't fit with you and you don't get along with them, don't feel like you're stuck. We are not offended if we don't get along and you choose a different provider. I mean, I've stolen Eric's patients from because they obviously like me better <laughs> and vice versa. Um, but you just have to find the person that you get along with. And if you go in to a GYN provider and they do something that makes you uncomfortable, please don't continue going to that person or speak up or say something. Mm -hmm. We're not, we're not offended. And I mean, unfortunately there are, you know, you occasionally see those headlines out there of, mm -hmm. you know, the, you know, old male gynecologists that you know, don't, don't, <laughs> I, um, I live in a retirement community. Um, but, uh, and that's not really a lie. Um, but, uh, <laughs> it really isn't. um, you know, I always have a chaperone or, or someone mm -hmm. else in there, um, during an exam. So there's, there's that level of comfort that mm -hmm. you just, you know, just because I know there's some, you know, unfortunately bad things, bad mm -hmm. people out there. So again, you know, gaining trust is, is a big part of it. Um, so it's about you. It's not about us. So be mm -hmm. comfortable. Go um, back, goes back to myth number one, old school versus new school. Right. right. And that's yeah. kind of the, again, it's going to be a recurring trend here. Mm -hmm. Um, one last one. And I think maybe we'll, we'll end it there. Right. Yes. Um, endometriosis causes heavy bleeding. It, it, and this is a, big thing to unpack. And so I'm kind of, oh, I'm surprised you threw it in here. I'm kind of sad <laughs> to, do a separate end this is going to be a whole no endometriosis is going to be a whole thing, but endometriosis is when those, uh, those endometrial cells, those bleeding cells get actually out of your uterus. Mm -hmm. Um, um, and so that doesn't cause it, that causes that inflammation and that and bleeding cycle yeah. elsewhere in your pelvis, uh, which certainly is a big contributor to mm -hmm. dysmenorrhea and, or, or pain around your cycle or during your cycle. Um, but not actually a cause of heavy bleeding. No. Um, so, but if you're having heavy bleeding, it doesn't mean you shouldn't come in and get evaluated for something, but it's not because of endometriosis. Mm -hmm. so. Definitely separate podcast. Yes, much more. Much, yeah. That's not a great way to end. But with that, <laughs> no, we're going to um, we'll wrap it up here. We'll leave a teaser there. And that's yeah. it for today's podcast. Thank you, Olga. You're welcome. Um, and thank you, everyone, for listening um, and viewing. If you're watching on YouTube, if you have any questions, please let us know in the YouTube comments. As always, content to this podcast and video are for educational purposes only. None of this content is meant for personal medical advice. Please contact your medical provider if you are in need for that. Have a great day, everyone. Bye. Bye. Dang it, I knew I was going to talk too fast. Thanks for it's okay. I was going to tell you soon. Why do your waveforms still look bigger than mine? And I'm like all up in the microphone. <laughs>